budget cuts, layoffs, and everything else in between, it's really tough to be a B2B marketer right now. We're going through the same rough patch too. We figured the best place to start is something that you can control, how you work individually and how you work as a team. Today, we're giving you an inside look at an experiment that we're currently running right now so that we can work more efficiently as a marketing team. DemandGenU is officially in session. Let's do it. So this is not your usual setup. Where in the world is Jason Whittup right now? Yep, I'm in a generic hotel in South Jordan, Utah. Funny enough, same hotel I stayed at when I brought my son here last year to do a little skiing. So a little Embassy Suites action. Yeah, I'm here to visit a couple of our customers. Shout out to Canopy Tax and Lucid. I think it was second one, Lucid Software. What I didn't notice is I actually, my hotel is literally walking distance from one of the one of our customers that I'm meeting with tomorrow. So that'll be really nice. I didn't even know. It was just like, I think they're all South. That's where most of like the tech startups are here, like South mm-hmm. High and Jordan and Draper. And so, yeah, but I only know that because I worked here for a year. <laughs> So I'm going to put you on blast for a second before we get into this, but this has a good ending. So why don't you tell people what you forgot when you were traveling yesterday? (laughs) Yep. Uh, I got to the airport. My son drives me to the airport usually. And so I got to the airport all the way there and I realized I didn't have my wallet. I left my entire wallet, every physical credit card I have, my driver's license. And I usually travel with my passport. Took that out because I had that trip to Mexico a couple of weeks ago. And so I had that out. So I have no physical forms of identification with me. <laughs> I'm John Doe if I end up in the hospital. <laughs> Don't say that. And but but here's what worked. I have a clear at the airport. So I didn't need my ID or any form of identification at the airport. So I was able to get on that. And then most of my cards are on Apple Pay. I was realizing like, oh, and that I just happened to check into a Hilton hotel. And Hilton's have the digital key. So I don't even need to stop by the like front desk to show them my ID. So like luck plus technology, I guess, is letting me get through it. But it was anxiety. Like I was texting you last night. I was like, oh my God, dude, what do I do? I don't even know what to do. I didn't rent a car. That's for sure. Cause I thought they probably won't let me rent a car on a driver's license. But yeah, we're, we're doing it. We're doing it. It's just kind of crazy that it's 2023. If you would have done that five years ago and definitely. 10 plus years ago, like you wouldn't have even gotten on the plane. Probably. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, this is the thing. And then you were telling me how even IDs now, some states are, is it on Apple Pay or like a digital So form? there's, I know way too much about this right now because Jason was frantically texting me last okay. night and then I was on the couch and I was like, all right, well, let's see if I can help him. And basically what's happening is this. There are three states right now that currently allow state IDs to be like in your Apple wallet. I think it's Arizona, Colorado, and Maryland. I say that with like 70% certainty. And they're going to be rolling it out to, I think, most of the other states over the next like probably year or two. So it's pretty wild that you could just have your phone. And if you have everything loaded up, you don't really need anything else. Uh, But if you leave your phone, then you're shit out of luck. Yeah, don't leave your phone. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) No go. Yeah. No phone, no go. (laughs) Uh, all right, so let's do it. So I'm actually pumped for this one because we talk a lot about experimentation as a team, as a company, but it's usually in the the campaign sense, if you will. It's not how we work as a team. So let's talk a little bit about how this experiment came up. Uh, and think back to probably October, early November, and I've got some prompts here, but I'm going to let you start it and We'll go from there. I'm excited, though, because we're currently in the midst of this, and 
I've been very, very happy with how it's going. Yeah, so just a quick headline, we're doing experiments around meetings on like how many meetings we need to have and that kind of thing. And the first, really it started with no meeting Wednesdays. And I'm trying to remember how long we've been doing that or trying to do it. It's been quite a while, I feel like. Has it been a year even? Like it might be. A I should have looked this up in the prep. It's definitely been at least a year. And I think for the longest time, that was like the, I'm not a religious person, but that was like the holy day of the week. It was like, do not touch my Wednesday. I'm going to get all my deep thinking work done there. And we were good about it for a while. And then, you know, whether it was consciously or like subconsciously, like we, we kind of started to slip. Yeah. And you get, yeah. And that's one of the lessons on this thing is when you're making these kinds of experiments, like hold true to them. But um, and we were the only team doing it at the time. And so it made it even a little bit harder to protect the Wednesday because then it was like, oh, look at the marketing guys. They don't meet on, you know, they're brewing their kombucha and they're not meeting on Wednesdays. And so we did have bleed over from other teams that just needed time. And that would also be the time where if you just had a really busy week, then you started to give up some of that Wednesday for meetings. And that wasn't great. But that was our first kind of like test. And we had been talking about it in the leadership meeting because in a lot of the pulse surveys we do, we would hear about, oh, too many meetings, too many meetings. And so I was like, hey, we're going to try no meeting Wednesdays in marketing um, and reported back to the leadership team like, hey, it's going really well. And so it wasn't until the fall when we actually started this new experiment, but so the rest of the company went to no meeting Wednesdays as well. Gil does no meeting Mondays and Wednesdays. So I don't know how he gets away with that. <laughs> uh, he's also the CEO. So I, I do know how I get away with that. Yes. Um, yeah. And so, uh, so yeah, that was the first kind of, Hey, let's do something about all these meetings. And then it kept coming up in the pulse. So even though we were doing the no meeting Wednesday and now again, the whole company wasn't doing it. And so it might not have been our team, but we started talking about it again in, in the leadership meeting. And then I was just kind of like, the best way to approach something like this is to try and make a dramatic change. Not just like, okay, I won't get far. That was really where I was like, okay, let's do something. Hold on. Completely unrelated, but you're going to see why this is related in a second. When you were in grade school growing up and even high school, did you just cut to the chase at the end of books? Did you just like... I didn't read books. Okay, I was prepared for that answer, but all right. Okay. <laughs> or, yeah. I don't know. yeah. I'm a big reader. Yeah, so I probably skipped. <laughs> all right, back to regular scheduled programming. For, I'll fill in from the Pulse survey to when we started running this experiment. But I think as we were building out the Q4, Q1 marketing plan, and for people listening, our Q4 and fiscal year ends at the end of January, 2023. So we were planning in November timeframe and you added one of the, the goals that I think was like the second or third goal listed in the plan, which was to work more efficiently as a marketing team. And we've got six people and being expected to do more with less. Efficiency is the name of the game right now. So you wrote that down as a goal. And then I think you started to go back and forth on some ideas on how we could do this. And you got to Chicago to work with Maza and I in early December. And I'll be straight up. I was feeling frustrated because of how much time that I personally was in meetings, how much time that I couldn't really spend towards work. And I, I told you, I was like, 
something's got to change here because look at how many meetings that I'm in myself and Google lets you take a look at how many meetings that you're in on a given week when there's more than one attendee on there. So if you're using it for calendar blocks, it's not going to calculate that. And you're like, all right, well, let's do something drastic and we'll get into what the drastic thing was. But right when we did that, I got, I think it was nine and a half hours of just normal, you know, business hour working time back in my calendar. And I was like, holy shit, I'm going to be able to get so much more work done. So let's talk about the drastic light bulb moment. And uh, I've got your Slack broken out in bullets. If you forget anything, I came prepared. Oh, nice. Yeah. I, well, I remember because we were, again, we were talking about this in the leadership meeting and we were trying, we were tossing ideas back and forth. Oh, maybe we should do this. And maybe we should, okay, everyone no meeting Wednesdays. And then let's restrict everybody else to just X number of hours of meetings per week. And I was just thinking, yeah, I like that. But, and I think I even posed it to the team. I was like, hey, this is what we're thinking. And the team was like, yeah, that's kind of hard to manage too. You know, if like, hey, you can only have 10 hours of meetings a week or um, or some people, it, you can't just make it a blanket rule. There's like le different levels, different people, different functions that might need to have more meetings than others. Like an engineer may have may need to have way less meetings. So they're mostly, I don't know, I'm just making this up, but they're maybe heads down coding more and just checking in a couple of times and but like a VP might have to have more meetings because they're not doing as much work hands on keyboard work as trying to like. So I was like, okay, that's not going to work. And then the leadership team had petered out a little bit. <laughs> and so I was like, well, just like the no meeting Wednesdays, we're going to do something in marketing and we're going to give it a try. And I was thinking like, what, what would work? And a lot of times when you're doing an experiment or when you're trying to change something, even in just your normal work, it's kind of like if you just, try and make step improvements or just improve on what you're already doing. Oftentimes that just never really yields the kind of change that you need. And I was thinking the same thing here. Well, if we just try and make step improvements, we're not going to realize the benefit might be hard to get to that end point. So let's just, let's just, let's just go extreme and cut it all out. And so that's where I ended up. I don't remember, you'll have to remind me of exactly what I said, but I remember just sitting down one night and like, all right, these are the rules of the road. And we were going to do the two week experiment. It was kind of, leading into the holiday period. So I was thinking, well, meetings might already be ramping down a little bit because of the holiday. So it might be a decent time to do it. There's never a great time to do a, a big experiment like that. But so yeah, that was the first foray. And we can go into some of the like the laws. Of mm -hmm. No, no, no. I, I think it's important though. And I, I think as we were building the outline, I totally forgot about this until just now I checked on LinkedIn. After you communicated to the team what we were going to be doing with this experiment, you actually posted on LinkedIn exactly about this and it blew up. Like you have 379 likes and 67 comments about this. And the comments are very, very supportive of it. And I think a lot of people just feeling the same pain of, hey, how am I supposed to be able to get actual work done if I'm in meetings all the time? So it landed well. All right. Now the ground rules. And this is important because you were very clear with everyone that in order for this to work, no matter how difficult this is, you need to play by these rules and you need to agree that if this were just a idea, at least for the next two weeks that you got to play by these rules or we're not going to know that it's a horrible idea. Yeah. So yeah. a couple things, cancel or decline every internal recurring meeting that you have, cancel one-on-ones, cancel status meetings, cancel update meetings decline meetings where you're there and mostly just listening and not adding any value. If the 
And that's a little bit easier when you're just talking about meetings within the marketing team. But if you're meeting with people outside of the marketing team, try to get out of it. I love this one. Any external meetings with non-metadata employees, cut that shit out. No. You did offer up if anyone wants to plead that they need to make an exception that you could tell you directly and uh, or ask you about it and see if you'd be willing to make the exception. And I think what we were trying to do was we were trying to see not just all of the meetings that we could cut out, but then also there's still going to be the need for some meetings every now and then. But what the company was trying to communicate was if you are going to be having a meeting, you need to have a, and I used to do this all the time in consulting, a clear objective for the meeting, a clear desired outcome, and then an agenda in the meeting. So don't just get on a call with a bunch of people and hope that, all right, we're going to figure this out. It's prepare for this. And if you don't think that you can contribute to that outcome, then reject it. And I think the last thing that I would say is you were very clear about don't take this personal in that if you invite, I'm just going to make something up. If I invited four people to a meeting and somebody two minutes in is like, you know what, I don't think I can contribute here or I'm confused why I'm here. I'm going to drop. You're like, don't take that personal. This is part of the experiment. Yeah. Yeah. And some of those things are harder to do than others, obviously. And the one-on-ones that it's, I knew we would need, well, part of the strategy was I, th- I thought about it like one of those allergy diets. And that's kind of how I thought about it is where, okay, to figure out what foods you're allergic to, you got to cut them all out first. And then you get to that baseline and then not cut all food out. Obviously you got to eat food, but like, you know, all the like allergic kind of foods, the good stuff. And, yeah. Yeah. And then you start to add them in like slowly back in. And then if you add one back in and you're starting to get a reaction, then you take it back out. And so I was thinking of that process, I guess, when I thought about this, I was like, yeah, let's cut it all out. We'll get a sense for what we're missing. We're not going to, things aren't just going to crazily drop. We're not going to miss goals or just because of this. So I knew that, but we'd get a sense for, oh man, I really missed that meeting or, oh, I really didn't have this chance to talk to X, Y, or Z. And that we would come out of that two weeks with a a better understanding of what meetings were important and which ones actually weren't. And so that was another kind of reason behind doing it in that dramatic way. Because again, if you're just in my career, whenever I've gotten too many, like just too booked in meetings and I meet with my boss and I'm like, okay, help me out with this. They just go and swipe things out. And I'm like, no, it's not that easy. And I just knew if we tried to do it like one by one, it just wouldn't be, everyone would have a reason that they needed that meeting. So I just had to make a blanket statement, like just all of them out. And then we'll add them back in slowly after we realize what we're missing. So before we get into how the experiment worked, the last thing that I would add is not only were we doing no meeting Wednesday and really trying to be good about it, but with the one-on-one meetings that you had scheduled with everyone on the team and that I had scheduled with everyone on the team, we, prior to doing this, they were scattered throughout the week. And I don't know how long we did this for, but we made a conscious decision to make Tuesday our one-on-one day. So Tuesday sucked because it was one-on-one after one-on-one and again, very little work time. And like for me, that's one of those days where you're exhausted, but your hands really weren't on keyboards the entire time. Like you're just on Zoom. So it wasn't just no beating Wednesday that we were doing. It was also completely changing up what we were doing on Tuesday to get a full workday back again. 
Yeah, and I was realizing too, and I think this happens with a lot of people, the one-on-ones were just turning into status meetings. And if you want to do true one-on, like true one-on-ones should be more focused on career, what's going on? What do I need to communicate down to you that's going on? What do you need to communicate up to me? How you're doing and if things need to change. And so we just ended up getting on these and because it was one of the only times we'd talk and the only recurring meeting, it was just like, here's how pipeline's going, here's how this is going, and it just turned into status. And so one of the things I wanted to say is, let's get rid of these one-on-ones, let's do them less frequently and less time per one-on-one. But then let's actually, if we need a status meeting, I didn't want any status meetings. If we need another meeting to move something forward, even if it's recurring, that's fine. Let's put that on the calendar separately so that we know what it's about. It's not, and, and then also then it protects the one-on-one so that we actually do have time to talk about those important things that, because like we were talking about early on, that number one goal this quarter is employee morale and just like improving that. That's not going to work if our one-on-ones are focused on status of projects and things like that. And so that was the thinking behind that part of the decision too. So we're going to get into the good, the bad, the ugly about this experiment. But one last thing I think is worth mentioning is you're a meeting guy, or at least you were a big meeting guy. You say I am, so maybe I'm going to find out some new things here in a second. But like for you personally, meetings were a way for like you'd rather previously, you'd rather just meet with people to try and push things forward instead of working like async. Like I love to do. Yeah, yeah, I and it's probably more of my older school work where you're typing everything, but and reading everything. I don't like to read long things by myself because I know what'll happen. I'll get all of a question and I'll just want to ask you right there. And so my MO has always been like, don't send me a large document to read and give you feedback on because I won't do it. Just schedule 15 minutes with me, 30 minutes with me, walk me through it, or I'll even sit there and read it, but then I can ask you questions. And I don't think I ever do that. But And so once we... And I'm pretty comfortable on video now just because of all the stuff that we've been doing. And so video started to be, and then I started seeing you using Loom more and other people starting to use Loom. And Hold I on. started to try it you're, out. You're cheating. You're getting into the, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You're getting <laughs> the actual experiment. So, all right. Hold that thought. It's a relevant thought, but it's too soon. All right. So let's talk about the experiment. And I'm going to get your perspective first on kind of the good, the bad, the ugly. And I think what I want to talk through is your own experience, my own experience, and then we can talk about the team's experience too, because- Everyone had different experiences, and I don't know if anyone totally hated the experiment. I don't know if anyone, well, I love the experiment, but I might be the only one. But let's go through that first. Yeah, so do you want me to go good, bad, ugly for me? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so for me, I probably didn't hold as strictly to it as the rest of the team. I had some, like, the leadership recurring meeting. I couldn't just decline that. I was like, hey, Gil, sorry, I'm not going to hit the leadership meeting for two weeks. So there were some recurring meetings. That, that would have been an experiment, yeah. Yeah, I actually probably could have, but eh, I don't know. Nah. No, that probably wouldn't have been smart. But I'm not going <laughs> to Gil, just I would have missed stuff, you know. Um, so for me, immediately having no one-on-ones, that, that Tuesday became very clean, and I was like, oh, more time to get stuff done. Yeah, it was just because... My, my days are usually filled with like pretty filled with meetings, like maybe 60 to 80% of meetings. And then I would find myself either pushing off work that I needed to do or just not doing it and handing it down. And so I was able to actually take on more work. And one of those things was, well, I don't even talk about it yet, like a bigger project that I got to work on because I actually had the time to work on it. I wasn't bogged down in meetings. And so um, the bad for me and or ugly, I don't know if there really was 
I think just some of the team's reaction initially maybe was a little bit like, oh, I didn't really expect that. Some people were anxious. Oh, I need, I want to have this meeting, or I, they were more anxious about which meetings they should cut or which ones they could All have. All right. So let's talk about that. We're going to go a little bit off script, but it's perfect timing. So I think just so everyone knows who's listening, there was confusion around, can I have any meetings? Yep. And I think people saw the experiment come from you and you're like, no meetings, cut all the meetings, cut all of this. But at the end of that, you also said, if you really do think that you need to have a meeting, you can still have the meeting for the right reasons and the right people, yada, yada, yada. But people were nervous or just, can I schedule a meeting? Can I not schedule a meeting? And I think that caused some confusion in the team. Yeah, for sure. I was very blunt with what not to do, but I think the guidance I gave was something like, if you need to have a meeting, okay, but it has to be about a project and it has to be to move that project forward. Like you're actually, you're not talking about status. You're not give, updating people. You're like, hey, I need to work on this with you because I need some of your brain and my brain together to move it forward. Those were, but again, that can be, people can construe that in lots of different ways too, right? Like, well, am I moving this project forward? Is it more status? So they might've got wrapped up in that a little bit. So yeah, it wasn't, it was very blunt instrument on the guidelines. And so I was, it's not surprising that there was some confusion for sure. And I didn't check up on any, I didn't really check up on anybody. I would kind of like, Hey, I'm going to be looking at it. I'm going to like, I'm going to look at your calendar, you know, but I didn't do that. I don't think. Um, but I just, I really, I just mainly wanted to get people like, Hey, it's just two weeks. So we can do anything for two weeks. And then if it just blows up in our face, then, you know, we'll go back to what we were doing or a version of that. So I think the other big things to mention are this. It's not just canceling meetings, but it's really, if you're going to be canceling meetings, then you have to change how you work and communicate with other people. So I'm a big Loom believer, so much so that I post about using Loom and loving it that Loom sent me this light. I don't know if I ever told you that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Like one of the nice ones. Yeah. They've seen my posts and tagged them. So I love using Loom. I think it is more of just a general like feeling that everyone's not the best writer and written communication can get misinterpreted very easily. There's a lot of back and forth. There's confusion. There's just reading into it the wrong way. And I think Loom helps so much more because you can actually hear someone trying to articulate what they're trying to say. You get the tone behind it. You get yeah. the color, all of that. So I'll, I, I would say most of the team started to heavily use Loom for the first time. I know you did that as well. So that was another big thing that we did. And then while we were doing this experiment, we were also getting really, really solid around how we use Asana as a team and what we need to do to show not just the priorities that people have and what they're working on in their respective functions, but also what are the things that you are working on or Alex is working on or Brittany and Katie and Maza that require me or you or others that aren't really on your radar yet when there's a deadline that needs to be hit, it's like, oh, wait, I need Jason's time or I need my time. And it's like, well, I didn't know that you needed my time. So yeah. there was the, no meetings, there was using Loom and then there was using Asana and it was all kind of this perfect storm all at once. So it wasn't just, hey, cut meetings and hope that it works. Yeah, and for me, writing takes so much time. And because you're writing it and we're trying to explain pretty complex, we can be trying to explain pretty complex topics. And if you write it incorrectly, it can be just misconstrued or is confusing. And then you have to redo it anyway. And when you get on a loom and you're explaining it, there's just so much more that goes on with 
the, like you were saying, the tone of voice, I can even show you, I'm walking you through something on the screen too, at the same time as I'm talking through it, which there's, you can't even do that in text. And so it just opens up a lot more capability with communicating. And once you get comfortable with it, that's, I think a lot of people's hesitation is they're not comfortable on camera. And so they think that gets in their head and then they don't just flow like they're talking to you. They're just like, wait, the camera's on and wait, what am I doing? But if you feel that right out of the gate, just know that's not like if you're trying to use Loom again, if you're trying to use Loom in your team, you might have some hesitation at first, but that's not because of the media. That's not because of Loom itself. It's probably more because you just don't, you're not, maybe you're not very comfortable on video yet, but that takes very short time to get over, I think. And if you are one of those people who's not comfortable on video and comfortable showing your face on Loom, you can also hide your face so you don't actually have to see your face too. So <laughs> I know that everybody doesn't love being on camera, which is totally fine. But yeah, it, using Loom, I think was a big reason why I liked it so much. So I'm going to steal this next little bit just to talk about my own experience and what I liked and then we can get into the, I guess, aftermath of this experiment and what we're changing moving forward. So for me, what did I like? I liked selfishly getting a whole lot more time back in my day. I've got a, at least a day from all of the recurring meetings that I had. So that was a huge, huge plus for me, not just in terms of work time, but in terms of morale. Like when I would wake up on Tuesday morning, straight up every time for the last, I don't know, we were probably doing it this way for like, I would say six to 10 months. Yeah. I was like, oh man, here's Tuesday. I know I got to be on Zoom the entire time. This is going to be exhausting. Very little breaks back to back. One meeting goes long, then every meeting goes long. And it just felt like a very draining day. So morale was up for me big time on Tuesdays. And then what I also tried to do was I tried to be a little more protective of my focus time. And I'm a morning person, a morning psycho, to be totally honest. And I was trying to block off my mornings to do like the big task for the day. Usually that requires writing or thinking or planning and people because we've got a team of six across what three different time zones, people wouldn't always play by that rule and they'd schedule over it. So I like that I got my focus time back in the day. Now for me using loom, I've been one of the bigger loom proponents at metadata for a while. It didn't really change anything to me. I just sent more of them. And I think I was sending more voice notes over Slack, but then also more looms to try and avoid having to always get on a call or schedule a meeting to show somebody something. So that was big. And then I think the other big thing, it's positive at the end of the day, but it also was painful to do this. I had never used Asana in the way that we are using Asana right now. And I think for me, I always operate on a my notebook right here. I write a lot on paper in an office setting. Remember those? I used to have post-it notes all over the place. Like Ray probably would have hated me if I was in an office because I'd have stuff that shouldn't be on post-its in front. But for me, it was a big adjustment because I had to spend time over the course of my day and week getting stuff into Asana, updating Asana, organizing it the right way. And it was part of the initial hesitation at first was there's so much to be doing. There's so little time. I don't know if I want to waste my time doing this. Therefore, I'm not going to do it and just keep trying to do the work. Whereas because I was taking that approach, 
that just kept me on the hamster wheel of feeling disorganized and not really planning effectively. So I'll take ownership for that. I think it was painful at first as I was not getting stuff into Asana. And then we would come to the meetings to plan for, hey, what do the next two weeks look like? And it was painful for the team too, because I'll call her out. Alex Burden is like the Asana queen, as is Maza. I'm surprised Maza doesn't have a Asana tattoo on his forearm. You're a big Google Doc guy. Katie Ray is not the the biggest Asana fan in the world, although I think we are breaking her. And then I think Brittany didn't really have any issues with Asana, but we had to get everybody using Asana at least in the same way, like to a degree. We're not trying to prescribe how everyone works every single hour of the day, but hey, we're expecting you to do these three or four things Asana. And if you want to go nuts in Asana after that, go for it. If you don't want to do anything after those three, four things, perfect. You're not expected to. Yeah, it's like there's a bare minimum. Yeah, well, what you need to do in Asana. And then if you want to do more, you can. And why we're talking about Asana with this is because Asana now, if we're using Asana in the right way, that can help eliminate some of these status meetings, right? Because then I just go into Asana and I can see if things are updated and we know they're being updated consistently, then I just go there and it's, oh, this is the status of this project. I don't have to talk to you on a call for 30 minutes to figure that out and go back and forth. And so that's why that kind of paired with the meeting stuff to help, I guess, ward off what we would miss from having some of that status talk. So it was like fixing it with in, in kind of a couple of different ways. And I think it helped, I'd say me personally, keeping myself organized, it helped me to see what others were working on and how full their plates are. It helped you to see all of that without feeling like you needed to slack individual people on the team or get a meeting together. And then I'll pump our own tires for a bit showing other teams how we're working in Asana and like, whoa, one, you have that much stuff that you're working on. That's crazy. And two, there's a kind of method to the madness behind how you're working through all this. This is nuts. So I think it was cool to show that off to others. And I think they know the marketing team's busy. They know that we're constantly working on stuff, but then they're not really always certain as to what we're working on and why. So it was helpful to show that, hey, there's a reason why we're doing this. There's a reason why we're working on these things. And here's all the detail that goes into it. Yeah. And the more I work in a marketing team as a marketing leader, the more I realize, I think we, I don't know, maybe there's other departments that would say this, but I feel like marketing has just the most, they have the most randomized work product and approach of any department in a company. Um, And I mean, I can't put a ton of words to it, but just because there's so many different functions in marketing and you're trying, they do some kind of completely different things. You've got product marketing and you've got ops and they're like very different. And then you've got all of these tools that we have to buy and all these costs and all these different things. And so it's just so multifaceted. It feels like, like my budget out of the entire company is the most ridiculous to help, to like manage and to even try and make sense of, to be honest. But um and so we just need it more. And there's always more requests coming in. It's not like sales, for example. They don't have a ton. They have some requests. But they don't just have everybody telling them how they think they should do their job like we in marketing do. Oh, we get constantly fed. Well, did you see this? Oh, I found this. Or well, I used to do it this way. Or my old team did it that way. And then we got to try and distill all that and tell people like, yep, I hear you. And so it's just, it's almost like marketing is can be so scattered if you don't have some of these controls in place. And so... 
we're still scattered. Don't get me wrong. We're not like operating like a no, well, we're not. team yet, but we're starting to get in that. We're heading in that direction. So two things to talk about with our Asana setup first, and then we'll jump into the kind of the end of this of how we're changing, how we work as a team moving forward. So first thing, we are trying to plan roughly for like 60 to maybe 70-ish percent of our time, knowing that there's always going to be fire drills and requests that come in that aren't planned for, and you either have to do them and don't want to, or you have to do them and you know you should have thought to do them in the first place. So that's one thing. We're not trying to plan 100% of our week every single week because that's fairy tale land. The second thing is, so I've got Asana up right now just to explain how we're using Asana. So for each of the, we've got our goals. I forget the exact number of goals that we have, but there's probably what, seven or eight, somewhere in that range, I think, in the marketing plan, somewhere in there. So we have all of those goals in a custom field in Asana. And then the big ticket things that you're working on that require at least an hour of your time plus all need to be in Asana and they all need to roll up to one of those goals that we have. If there are things that don't roll up to those goals, it's okay. You can work on them. We want to like take inventory of how often those things are coming up. So then your week and days are not just flipped completely upside down every time. We've got a level of effort field, just doing like kind of t-shirt sizing right now. And then a must do next sprint field, because we are trying to work in sprints. We'll do that maybe in a future episode, because I think we're okay right now, but it's not super methodical about working in sprints because it's just so hard with how fast we move. And then you've got an assignee of the person who's accountable for it. So others go crazy with it. I think Mazza and Alex Verdon have three, four, five fields on theirs to help with automations and whatnot, but that's the bare minimum for how we're using it. Yeah, and what's nice about Asana, and I don't know, I'm just saying Asana because I haven't used all the other ones. Maybe they all have this, but in Asana, you really can have one task that fits into one project in the way you need it to and into your own other project in the way that you need it to. You don't have to have like duplicate tasks. And so it's really, really flexible just in terms of how you're able to see things and then also how you're able to collect those things into a view for like a sprint planning meeting or me just wanting to understand status of everything in the next three weeks. Or so, yeah, it's really been nice. Again, I'm not trying to, I don't know if the other PM platforms have that or not, but our experience with Asana has been really nice tagging tasks to several projects and being able to inherit some of the fields from those. And yeah, it's nice. And it has been a little painful to get to this point. And there's still a whole lot more that we can do to improve how we work as a team. But I think there was some apprehension at first. There was some confusion. There was, do I truly need to do this? Will I get in trouble if I don't? We had to go through all of those motions too. So it wasn't everybody got it right away and was using it so happily and didn't have to learn how to use the tool. I'm still on the way there. Like I'm not, I'm probably the worst out of the team right now, honestly, probably. Yes. Yeah. Luckily, I do have tasks that take more than an hour of time. You know what I mean? So like I do, I need to have something there. But what I've been doing is I need to correct this is just before our sprint planning meeting, I go in and I add the stuff that I'm going to be working on in the next two weeks just so we can go through it and talk about it in the sprint meeting. But yeah, I need to, but I do use it very religiously in just my day-to-day work as well. I just think I got to bridge that that project over. So as a recap at the end, we've already covered how we've changed the way that we work in using Slack, Loom, Asana, 
covered all of those things. Let's talk about the meeting cadence. And, you know, we went from all of these meetings to no meetings to then changing up the, the meeting cadence. So kind of walk me through that. Yeah. So let's see. So we had a several, we had a couple of recurring meetings. We had a weekly marketing team meeting on Mondays, and then we had an every other week sprint planning meeting on Fridays. And what we were realizing was the sprint planning meeting wasn't really a sprint planning meeting. It was like a Monday marketing team meeting. And then we'd have another one on Monday sometimes, but it was just kind of wonky. And then the one-on-ones, a lot of them were an hour. Some of them were a half hour. They were every week. And so we basically said, all right, let's do the sprint planning meeting every other week. And then let's do the team meeting every other week in opposing weeks. And then let's just make sure every one-on-one is a half an hour. We're still doing them weekly. And I think weekly is so important right now just because it's so dynamic and everything is all the stuff that's going on. And then we said, and then if you need like meetings. Oh, yeah. One-on-ones. One big thing. Actual one-on-one meetings. Oh, yes. Yes. Focus not on status but on like how you're doing, career planning, removing obstacles, all the, the correct, getting, you know, pushing information down, the things you're supposed to be doing in a one-on-one, which would leave probably an opening to maybe need to have another couple of meetings. But those, if it's status, let's not do it every week. If it's, and we shouldn't really be doing status meetings anymore because we have other ways of communicating that. So if it's a meeting, let's, invite who needs to be there and kind of back to those original rules. Let's make sure we have an agenda, what we need from each person. Yeah, but I'm probably missing something. What did I miss? No, I think those are the big things. It wasn't just, hey, here's all the meetings to here's no meetings to, hey, let's just go right back to bad behavior. We were, we're still working through it. I think some people are getting more comfortable and acclimated working in this way. The, the other thing that I think we're trying to figure out now too is the project-based meetings. So there's a couple very big company projects that we can't share all the details on right now that that we are all working on. And a few have different owners as, you know, marketing team members. So we're still trying to figure out what does that look like? What's the format of those meetings? When is that happening? And I think truthfully, are they kind of turning into status meetings? Maybe do some of them feel like working sessions? Yes. And I think that's when it, it makes sense to have those. But I think in general, people are getting more comfortable with it. And more importantly, they just get more time back in their day to actually do the work. Yeah. Yeah. I think some of the meetings I'm having now, too, they're more Q&A, which is, I think, fine, too. Um, they're not status, but they might not be moving things directly forward. But they're like, hey, you've got a lot, a lot of this with me. Like, I might have a lot of data wrapped up in my head or how I'm thinking about something. And I might have done a loom and that wasn't clear enough. And so some of the meetings we're having is just like, hey, let me meet with you. Let me just pick your brain on this and let me get this stuff out of your brain so I know what you're thinking. I like those meetings too because then you get a chance to go back and forth. Also hear, hey, is what I'm saying make sense or do you want to change that? And so I think there's like some hybrid They're kind of a little statusy, but also like Q&A. And I, I, think those are, I think those are okay. Well, a perfect example of that is you were just out on PTO last week. And for one of the big projects that you're owning, Alex and I were trying to move that forward while you were out uh, on vacation. And when we came back, we had a bunch of questions for you. And I would say super rough math. Did you know the answers to probably half of them right away? Yes. Was there a quarter that you were like, yo, I've been thinking about it and I think this, but I'm not really sure. And we discussed it. Yes. And then the last quarter, we're like, holy shit, I wasn't even thinking about these things at all. Thank you for asking these questions. And it forces us to all get on the same page. So I I like those meetings personally. And I think that's something that we'll stick to moving forward. 
Yeah, and that's a good point because there's always something, especially if you're trying to run a project by yourself, there's things you're not thinking about. And so like being able to, hey, here's what I'm thinking. Tell me like what feedback do you have? How would you change this up? Where am I wrong? Yeah, I like those meetings. Those are good ones to have. So we are right at time. I'm excited to see the response to this episode. If you listen and you're trying to go through something similar, you want to run a crazy experiment like we did, please message us on LinkedIn, email us. We will definitely respond back as far as maybe some of the other things that we learned and didn't get to in this episode. But I know that every marketer is strapped for time and resources right now and efficiency is the name of the game. So hopefully this helps some teams. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks everybody for listening. Have a great week. We'll see you next week on DGU. See ya. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of Demand Gen U. Demand Gen U is brought to you by Metadata, the no BS marketing OS. B2B marketers use Metadata's marketing OS to drive more revenue without all of the manual and repetitive work. From running paid campaigns to personalizing web experiences to optimizing everything to revenue, Metadata automates all of this. This means less time spent on low-value tasks and more time spent on strategy, creativity, and driving revenue.